Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It is Mark Vandermeer for Texans All Access tonight with, from the Houston Chronicle, John McClain, the General. General, how's it going tonight? It is going absolutely great. We're headed to Orlando for the NFL meetings, which is always very eventful. Mm -hmm. A lot of things we're going to be discussing, like what is a catch, they're supposed to make it easier. <laughs> there will be discussions about national anthem and kneeling, and they'll pass some rules changes. One that's that's they claim is getting hot, but I just don't I don't buy it. The college interference rule. Right. That means every pass is more than fifteen yards. The DB is going to abuse the receiver, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a fifteen yard penalty. Well, there- I think that's bad for the game. There is a report that the competition committee is not in favor of the 15-yard penalty, but I would be in favor of it. They were talking about uh, flagrant, if you will. I'm not going to use – that's not the proper terminology. But, you know, if you had a, a breakaway, a clear path to use NBA terminology or basketball terminology, I would get that that would be a spot foul. And maybe just like we went to the five-yard penalty. Remember in the days when there was no five-yard bump penalty? There was no defensive holding penalty, right? So it used to be pass interference wherever it would be. All over the field. Yeah. So at least we solved that part of it. I think there is a solution out there. I'm not quite so sure how to word it right now. If you do that, it's, it's putting too much strain on the officials, I believe. If you either make it 15 or you make it at the spot, if anybody's not enjoying the NFL, I don't think that has anything to do with it. There's got to mm-hmm. be other reasons besides pass interference. Work on the catch thing. That's gotten the most controversy. Make it a common sense. And I go back to what Bill O'Brien said when Bill was irked at a call uh, that went against the Texans. He said if it's a catch in the backyard and it's a catch on the street and it's a catch in high school and it's a catch in college, it ought to be a catch in the NFL. But there are arguments in the backyard and there are certainly arguments in college. And I have to say this. I think that one of the proposals out there does make a lot of sense. All right, you're making the football move or you have three steps. I'm not saying you always require three steps, but you're making the football move. If you took three steps and then it comes out, I mean, really – uh, so there are different ways to look at it, and there was a third subjective element. Some of this is going to be subjective. I have no doubt about that. But we can always go back to the review if we have to. And I know it slows down the game, but it does come up. I am for reviewing anything you want to review, coaches challenge, mm-hmm. but you don't get more challenges. Therefore, okay. therefore, the game would not be slowed down. And Wait, to, what about pass interference? Would you be in favor of reviewing pass interference? Not a non-call, but a call. Let's I am review and see if that is pass it, interference. Of a coach being able to challenge any call, hold it. But he's got the same any call, but he's got the same number of challenges. And the thing is, if a ball is possessed, if a guy catches the ball, why does he need to take three steps? If he yeah. catches the ball and he has it and takes one step and gets the snot knocked out of him, it's a fumble. And I don't care if it's three steps or two. You can see him have the ball, have it in his arm, or firmly in his hands. If it's bobbling, that's different. That's incomplete. But it just doesn't seem to be that tough of a rule other than that's what the NFL has made it. And I think sometimes, you know, the owners, they will go against coaches. Mm -hmm. But in this case, when it comes to interference and and the – and what's a fumble? I believe the owners will listen carefully to their coaches. Well, I like your challenge idea. I really do, especially since 
a few years ago we went to challenging or an automatic review, really, of all turnovers and of all scoring plays. Remember, that did not exist prior to a few years ago. So you would have to challenge a scoring play or challenge a turnover if you didn't like it. And now that's automatically done so you don't have to invest those challenge flags into those situations. You can save them for the other challengeable opportunities. Challengeable and I like your idea of being able to challenge pass interference. Holding, it gets a little touchy. But I don't I... care what it is. If a, if a pass rusher is coming mm. around and he's about to have a strip sack and a guard pulls him down, you should be able to throw the flag. And they look mm. at it and they go, okay, that's holding. And, and, Ooh, and even a non-call. A non-call, yes. Ooh. Non-calls a lot, oftentimes are more blatant than they are. Yeah. Think about Watt and Clowney, how much time they get held. I know you got to watch the ball because you do play-by-play, play, but sometimes I just focus on the best players, not with the ball. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated how much Watt and Clowney and all the great pass rushers get held, and it's almost like the officials – will look away unless they're like pulling their pants down or something. Yeah, it's some it's a penalty on them. It, they get penalized for being so good sometimes at their crowd. Oh, well, it's like basketball, you can take six steps if you want if you're a great player, they don't call traveling. Yeah. Well, that does happen. All the great ones time. deserve a little break, but sometimes when it's blatant and it affects the play there should be a call. John, you mentioned it. Owners' meetings next week. Better for you. Owners' meetings or combine as an oh, off-season combine content is so event. much more interesting. I can't say this on the air, and whoever's listening, please don't <laughs> tell my bosses. But the best thing about the owners' meetings is the networking. Mm-hmm. The fact it's the last time most people will get their head coach before the draft. Because Bill O'Brien doesn't talk before the draft. It was Rick Smith in the past. Now it'll be Brian Game. Mm-hmm. So we, because you'll be there. And one thing I hate what the NFL has done. Used to AFC and NFC coaches breakfasts were separate days. Yeah. And I don't care if they're back to back and you have two breakfasts, but don't put them all at one time yeah. like they're doing now. The entire league. I like to spend time with Bill. Bill's real good in that setting with media there, and I like to go to the other AFC South coaches. I'd like to go talk to Kyle Shanahan about Jimmy G and things like that. But in an hour, you can't get as much accomplished. So, to me, that is the best thing. Plus, you know, Bob McNair's there, Cal, Gain, ever, Jamie Roots, everybody is there. And it's a very relaxed setting, as you know. Mm-hmm. You know, once we get to training camp, everybody gets a little tight. Yep. But in this case, it's very relaxed. The wives are there. They're having a blast. There's a bash at Disney on, I think, Tuesday night. And so uh, – this is fun, but it's not like the combine, which is wall-to-wall news, constant work, information daily, plus about the draft. And uh, I think it's much more interesting. It is interesting to be at the owners' meetings when you see the owners and coaches and GMs all kind of let their hair down, so to speak. I like it. Some of these owners have, like when Daniel Snyder was here, he had security everywhere with him, and when they went to, I think, what River Oaks, he had security. But in this thing, if they have security, I don't see it. You know, they have a big bash, and you can walk through all the owners and, and hang out and talk to them. I, and, and it's very, very informal. Yeah. And some agents will be there. And did you see Robert Ayers, the defensive end, 32, was cut? He's going to drive there yep. and lobby 
owners and GMs and coaches for a job. And I hope for him being so resourceful that he gets a job like that. It's although smart. I'm sure they would rather talk to his agent. Um, of course. But if he goes to the reception and he's in line at the shrimp cocktail table <laughs> with – you know, Robert Kraft or whoever. I mean, good for him. I mean, he's able to network and hobnob. I think that's great. And if it works, you're going to see more players doing it until yeah. they'll have to ban them. Yeah, it'll be like a job fair instead of the owners' meetings. But they have a lot to cover. We talked about the catch rule. We talked about some of the other rule stuff. You mentioned anthem stuff. A lot of different subjects will come up. I also like getting that general state of the league address from Roger Goodell because he does talk about the popularity of the league, where it's going, TV ratings. And it was a challenging year or two for the NFL in that category. It must be interesting to you, John, especially having covered the league for so long. It's interesting to me because I I really started watching the league heavily in the early 80s on television and to see how it's changed. And now you have that extra screen coming in with everybody's phone. It's going to change even more in the next few years. And then the TV contracts come up. And that's going to be very interesting to see how they reshape the TV agreements in the next wave. I was just looking at Amazon, 700-and-something billion. You'd think they couldn't become a partner with the NFL, and that'd be tip money for uh, Jeff Bezos. And so um, one of those companies, Apple hadn't showed any interest. Google has. Facebook did. One of them is going to come in like when DirecTV did, and people are like, wow, DirecTV's paying them a lot of money. Somebody's going to step in there and make them an offer that just blows their socks off. It's just like people are talking about the declining interest in the NFL. Yeah, right. Well, Fox is paying them hundreds of millions more to get the Thursday night yeah. uh, game as well as the draft. And now ESPN's announced it's not backing off on the draft. So you're going to have ESPN, Fox, and the NFL Network all doing draft-related stuff. ESPN is bringing in its college game day crew to be involved in the draft. So if there was less interest in the NFL, would all these big-time media players uh, be trying everything they could to get involved? I don't think so. Well, I found it interesting, not only John Gruden leaving to coach the Raiders, Monday Night Football, now that you brought up ESPN, but Sean McDonough no longer a part of Monday Night Football. Did you like McDonough's play-by-play? I didn't have an issue. I liked. I didn't like so many bad games, and I don't blame him. Now, I don't ever watch a game to watch announcers, although I have to admit, if Peyton Manning takes the Fox job, I will watch the first game because he's Peyton, and I expect him to be great. Yeah, I couldn't. I don't get to watch most of them because I'm covering the Texans. But when I read about how great Romo was, the first chance I got, I listened to Tony Romo, and not because he was Tony Romo, but because everybody says he's doing such a good job. But Peyton, who doesn't want to work on weekends, so that rules out Monday Night Football. They're saying he's being offered ten million a year to basically work hard one day and do a day of prep, and if he takes it. Considering he wants to run a team, will be careful of criticism because yeah. he's trying to, like he's trying to run a franchise. So yep. and owners are going to be watching him like crazy. So um, that's the only time. And McDonough wasn't happy, and he went out firing some volleys, some salvos, mm-hmm. which was kind of surprising. But uh, I don't think he and Gruden ever really hit it off. I don't think they had much of an on-air rapport. I think McDonough is extremely solid as a play-by-play announcer. Solid. Just, That's I, a great way to I just never liked it. him on Monday Night Football. I just never thought that he was that kind of guy. And he strikes me as a lesser Bob Costas in this way. I think McDonough's got great ability. 
but it's almost like you get the feeling like, yes, I'm doing this game, and I'd rather not be here, but I'll do it. And I'll do it well now that I am here. But I still look at him. I lived in Boston when he was the TV voice of the Red Sox. He actually lost that gig. He's lost a lot of good gigs. He was CBS national play-by-play voice for baseball on television. So uh, he's had a lot of great gigs. It's going to be interesting. Would he have had all these great gigs if his name was Vandermeer? Well, a lot of people don't know that Will Will McDonough was uh, an all-time journalist in Boston for the Boston Globe. He was the first journalist to go to TV as an insider for NBC. A lot of people don't remember that, I think. But I think people hiring today are older, Mm -hmm. and they do. They do remember him. Yeah. yeah. And if they don't remember and didn't work with Will, who's dead, is they'd heard about him. Well, Will was not a great writer necessarily, right, but a great information guy, he was correct? A, he was a really good reporter because he okay. had so many contacts going back to covering the original AFL. And uh, so because of that, the McDonough name is gold up in New England. And where is ESPN based? New England. Yeah, I guess it's all part of the deal up there. I mean, Syracuse and ESPN, and never mind. Don't get me started on all of that. All right, the general's going to stay with us. We have a lot to talk about. Free agency, the first wave is over. It's safe to say that. There are many other follow-up waves, ripples, if you will, that are on the way for the Texans. What could some of those be? And also, our thoughts on the first wave and how it affects the rest of the AFC South. That is all coming up on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio here in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. Texans All Access is the program name. And if you're listening live or later on on a podcast, we welcome you. And John McClain is with us from the Houston Chronicle. General, we've got the Honey Badger in the house and a lot of excitement around him. Your reaction to getting him Friday night when the news started to break and the reaction from the teammates, a lot of excitement around this acquisition for this franchise. That broke at 10.50 p.m. Friday night, which is getting really close to deadline for those of us who still have deadlines. <laughs> and most of my story, some of it was in the Chronicle, most of it was on uh, Cron.com. And I'd been writing that they were pursuing him. I knew they had an interest. And when I asked Brian Gain about it, He said he wouldn't speak specifically about Matthews, but he said if a player is talented, fits our culture, what we want in our program, and the budget, we're interested. Well, he signed a one-year deal for $6.5 million. He can make another $500,000 in per-game roster bonuses for a maximum contract of $7 million. He counts $7 million under the cap. Uh, I believe Aaron Colvin is the best free agent based on how he played last year because he was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Matthew was pretty inconsistent coming off a major injury, even though he played more snaps than any player in the league. But Colvin and Matthew's cap figure is less than the cap figure of Nate Solder with the Giants, who y'all were interested in. But as Gaines said, he was going to spread it around, mm-hmm. not go after specifically one or two guys because let's face this, you know, this is not a one-off season uh, retooling effort, so to speak. Yeah. And so I thought Matthew, who is very, very respected, he is a really good leader from what everybody's told me in Arizona. People in the organization, people in the media covered the team. And I thought it was very interesting. And I asked Matthew about this. Once he was released, because he wouldn't reduce his contract from 11 to $8 million, meaning he get, he's getting – a million less here. Wouldn't you like to be able to make that kind of decision? Oh, yeah. And he, as soon as he was released on the start of the league year, all these players 
media people, people in the organization were just tweeting the nicest things about him, about what he'd meant to them, wishing him the best of luck. Yep. I think having him on the back end uh, with, if you think about this, Mark, and I know you have, if you think about, okay, you got Aaron Colvin, you got Merciless, you got uh, McKinney, Cunningham played really well down the stretch. You got Watt and you got Reader. And uh, that is a pretty impressive defensive lineup. That's not even counting Jay Joe and Jackson and Kevin Johnson and, and uh, Andre Howell. But having Matthew on the back end, uh, but he also is – I'm sorry. He'll be playing around the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And Andre Howell will be playing deep when they play it that way. But – I think uh, he's going to help on the field and off the field, and I really like the fact he said he wants to make an impact off the field in the community, especially with kids. He had done that out there as well, getting him for a one-year deal. Great for the Texans and really good for him because if he plays well, you'll extend him like they did in Arizona. Well, I like the fact that you could negotiate with him before he hits the market. So he has a good season. He likes it here. You're able to work out a deal before he gets on the open market, and that's going to be huge for this team, potentially. Also, Rick Smith didn't negotiate during the season. Mm-hmm. And if you have a one-year deal like that, remember last year Philadelphia signed Alshon Jeffrey, the receiver for Chicago, one-year deal. And he really worked hard and played well, and then they extended mm-hmm. him during the season. So we don't have anything to go on on Brian Gain because it's his first year as general manager. This time next year we're going to have an idea about that. Would he sign him during the season or would he wait till after the season so you didn't have any kind of distractions? I already liked what they did before the Honey Badger, and then after the Honey Badger, you have to love it, like you said on the back end, because you have Tyron Matthew, Aaron Colvin, Johnson Batamosi not projected to play regularly in the defensive backfield, but he can start at three games for the Patriots last year, and you have a lot of options. I went at it like this, John. You have six guys, and one of them is going to be off the field during nickel situations when you talk about Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Kevin Johnson, Aaron Colvin, Tyron Matthew, and Andre Howell. That's six players. So somebody gets voted off the island in a nickel situation if everybody's healthy. That's pretty interesting. That's good depth right there. They're going to have, barring injuries, some tough cuts. You know, players make their biggest improvement, usually between the first and second season. That would bode well for Tristan Deku, who's the biggest one they got. Batamosi's got good size. He looks like a safety, but he's a corner. Corey Moore re-signed. Uh, they've got a lot of players there, and they're going to have more because I think we both believe they're not going through a draft where they have multiple picks and not draft another cornerback. You probably get asked this a lot. I get asked this a lot. Watts health. We don't know. We're not his doctor. We're not, you know, spending time with J.J. every day and going over his health situation. But what do you tell people when they ask you about that? I tell people that Bill O'Brien has said publicly – He's ahead of schedule. Now, that doesn't mean – I think they will – and I tell them, I believe they will approach camp with Watt the same as last year. Practice a day, take a day off. Practice two days, take a day off. Really, let's be honest. Romeo Cornell's back at defensive coordinator. What is Watt going to learn from Romeo? Nothing. Mm-hmm. What does Romeo need to teach him? Nothing. They need just to let him get healthy at whatever speed he needs to go. 
let him play a little bit in preseason like he did last year and then have him ready to go at the start of the season. And I thought it was very unfair last year where people expect him to go from having two back surgeries to being Superman the first game. That's not yeah. the way it happens. You don't turn it on and off like a faucet. You gotta. It's a like trying to warm up the hot water. You turn it on, and eventually it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and that's what I think would happen with Watt. Last year he didn't get a chance to show that because he went down in the fifth game. So I tell him, everybody, that J.J. Watt, barring an unforeseen setback, will be starting at left defensive end when they play their first game now same question with deshaun watson when you get asked about him i go back to he's good he says he's going to do some things in the otas and he expects to be ready to go at training camp and uh uh he better be because looks like he and uh Heineke, heineken heineken are going to be the only <laughs> quarterbacks out there because you had not signed a backup yet yeah, and that's a hot topic still, and they'll, and they'll, semi-hot. They'll get a backup, but uh, I think, too, they're going to be – they haven't seen him rehab. He's been through rehab before mm-hmm. on an ACL. They've got a. They've got Jeff Kaplan, who's a tremendous trainer. They've got great doctors. They've got Luke Richardson, the new director of sports performance. He'll have a role in it. So they're going to kind of – and they'll rely a lot on Watson since he's been through it. But there's no doubt, based on everything I've heard, he's not going to be ready to go, if not the first day of camp, certainly during camp. Did the morning show guys do this with you? If you had to, backup quarterback, Brock or Schaub? I brought that up. Oh, you did? Because we thought Schaub was unrestricted. He was not. So that made it a moot point, and we both said uh, no. Yeah, but if you had to. Between the two, yeah, uh, I tell you, Bill would take Schaub and Hart. Of course, you'd take Schaub. So Bill takes even Schaub. Schaub today. Everybody would take Schaub. Matt hadn't played in so long. Who knows how he would play? Well, to me, in the I saw him a little bit in the preseason last year because I'm still interested in following him and how he's doing. And it seems like a lot of his arm issues are behind him because we always talk about this. How it looked like some MPH had come off the fastball, which wasn't fa- that <laughs> fast to begin with with Schaub, and that was a big part of his problems. I think in 2013 and 14, but it looks like uh, the velocity is back to where it was. And obviously he's an older guy now, but man, after all he's accomplished in this league and he's, he's smart. If I had to choose between those two guys, it's a no brainer. Well, of course, everybody would take Matt. Now, yeah. did you see Osweiler is visiting Miami? They mm-hmm. got Matt Moore who's been the backup there since 2011 and is 33. And I've wondered, will they text and sign a guy like Matt Moore who was with Brian Gain for years. When Brian was there, would they go back to Brandon Whedon, who is the one I'd really like to see them bring He's back. the easiest option of all that are out there. He knows the system. People go, Whedon, why would you want Whedon? I said, well, when you have to play, aren't you supposed to win? And he's 2-0 and Oh, with the Texans. Look at the situation last year. Would you have wanted Whedon? Of course. Of course you would have wanted Whedon. Yeah, he's got a good arm. He's a first-round former, a first-round draft choice. Got a lot of athletic talent. Knows the system. Great guy. Everybody yeah. likes. And him. you're one, not one and zero. You're like one and a half and zero with him. Well, he won an Indy off the bench yeah, for the, off the first bench. time. So, so he's one counts. and a half and zero. That wasn't a start. No, but he still as a, he won an Indy, and then who they beat? Jacksonville. Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee, mm-hmm. and and he ran for a touchdown in the game. I think he could run a lot noble. of this Watson stuff. And uh, so I think he'd be ideal. But Matt Moore can do all those same things too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what what the holdup is i yeah. just i you know they worked out lamar jackson 
And mm-hmm. the reason is, like, people are, oh, my God, why would they work out Lamar Jackson without a first and second round pick? O'Brien explained it. He said, we like to visit with and work out players that we're going to be going against. There's a good chance. We we want to get to know wow. them. We want to see what they're all about. It doesn't cost much money to do mm-hmm. that. Fly a guy There's no in. way Jackson drops to round no, of three. of course not. And so, uh, but I like the fact it's like doing due diligence. Yeah. And plus, four years from now, three Might years be a free from agent. now, may have a chance to sign him. So, I think that's really good that they did that. It'll be interesting to see if Gain drafts a quarterback this year. Does, you know, we talked about the backup situation. If he drafts somebody, hey, see, quarterbacks have value. See, if he goes with that philosophy, and I like that philosophy, every couple of years draft a quarterback somewhere because they might turn out to be something and you can deal them or develop them yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like the third-round pick from Louisville. Yeah, that did work out what with was Dave Ragone. name? I forgot. Dave, Dave Ragone. Ragone. Charlie drafted him because he had a first-round great on him well the previous year i think he would have gone in the he first was really round. good the next year but um that one didn't work out but drew henson worked out a little bit he got a upgrade of a draft choice in a deal with <laughs> dallas for him well come on he Give worked out in there <laughs> what they do with that pick uh we're not gonna Jeez. we're not gonna go over uh, the other thing about having a young quarterback mm-hmm. When Heath Schuler was drafted in the first by, round by the Redskins, they drafted Farrat. Schuler held yep. out. Everybody loved Farrat. Schuler struggled. Everybody loved Farrat. It was a controversy from the get go. And when you do that, like when RG3 struggled the second year, mm-hmm. people, okay, let's see Kirk Cousins. I like having young and old or an old starter, have a young guy that you're developing. I don't think you should have two young ones unless there's a guy there that you had rated way higher and you have to take it i don't mind it so much because of what you just said i mean what great insurance for the redskins that they had cousins there if if cousins was going to ruin rg3 it's rg3's fault well, of course. if Ferrat was going to ruin Schuler, it's his fault steve walsh did not ruin troy aikman because they came in at the same time in dallas and walsh won the game when they were a rookie and then traded to new orleans yeah, so you got something for Walsh, right? I don't even remember what that deal was. But I don't mind it so much, and I wouldn't mind it if the Texans took a shot at somebody a little bit later on to develop and maybe he turns into somebody that they can deal. What if in the third round one of those quarterbacks O'Brien and the oh, staff boy. had at the Senior Bowl who are who they have, the Richmond and oh, Western you know, they, Kentucky quarterbacks? And they did not have the flashy quarterbacks and on their roster. they their butt. Yeah, and maybe they like one of those guys. I doubt they're third-rounders, though. We'll see. You know what drives me crazy is watching people on TV and the Internet on websites gush about pro days. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold looked really good in shorts and T-shirts, <laughs> and my God, he threw in the rain. Did you see it raining? He kept throwing, and I'm thinking, wow, is there anything more worthless than a pro day? And you've got film of every throw he made in college. Yeah. You can get practice throws. It is preposterous. Vince Young, Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Uh, uh, Although Manziel wearing pads and putting on the show he did with all the music and everything was something. It was a great pro day show. Blake, Blake Portals, I was there. You'd have a former incredible. president at your pro day. is pretty Matt big. Matt Leinertz was great. Yeah, yeah, I remember Barbara Bush's dogs <laughs> using the bathroom on the artificial surface. <laughs> and the sea, the uh the Secret Service guys protecting them, having to go over and pick it up. And uh, Oh, my gosh. George, How do you know when your career is not going in the right direction? <laughs> George Whitfield, the quarterback guru who orchestrated Manziel, said, 
the the bushes came out. You know, door opens at the end. Here they come on golf carts mm-hmm. with the Secret Service, and Johnny's warming up, and or he's actually going through it. And he looks over. George goes, "Huh? Hey, George, check it out. It's it's the president." And then he didn't bat an eye. Oh, if gosh. only the rest of his career had been like his pro day. All right, John McClain's going to stay with us. We'll get to the AFC South. We'll get to the Oiler reunion that recently took place. It's all happening next on Texans All Access. We're visiting with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle tonight. This is what we do on Thursdays. Mark Vandermeer with you in the Hyundai Texans radio studio in general. Let's get to it. A little scorecard watching AFC South because we do it just about every week of the year. I mean, 52 weeks a year, we're wondering what else is going on in this division, which is a very compelling division. Now, you tell me, Jacksonville, you lose Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, but they've got some good young wide receivers. They re-sign Marquise Lee, and they get Dante Moncrief. Jacksonville, better or worse after free agency? Never mind the draft, and I know they also picked up Andrew Norwell, who can block a little bit for them. They also cut a tight end that the Texans have gone against twice a year for years, Mercedes Lewis. Mm-hmm. In my most recent mock draft, which is on cron.com, I have them now taking a tight end. I can't remember. I think it's uh, Hayden Hurst from South Carolina has had him second. But it seems like they got to have a tight end. The Texans know better than anybody about those backup receivers, how good they were because they burned the heck out of them. And I think they're better. Just the fact that Bortles got, should have gotten some confidence down the stretch and in the playoffs. And then Fournette, I don't know how many years he's going to play taking a beating like that, but he'll be – I look for him to be even better in his second year. Yikes. Now he knows how to be a pro. Ed Norwell next to Cam Robinson's a really good move. So Ugh. they should be the favorite in the division. You think so? I All do. right, so if you have to pick the AFC South now, you got to pick the Jags, right? I would pick the Jags. Everybody first. healthy. Everybody's completely healthy, including the Colts. Andrew Luck's fully healthy. Watson, Watt, everybody's healthy. You're picking the Jags. I'm picking the Jags okay. because they only had one injury last year to Robinson. Mm-hmm. And they've got it on both sides of the ball. Got a great running back. That great running back, as you know, can cure a lot of yeah, ills. Well, he can make Bortles look good and get him a contract extension. That's what that running back can do. I don't want to take away from the good things that Bortles did. I guess I just did that. Sorry, Blake. I know you're not listening. Let's go to the Titans here because we always talk about regimes coming in and favoring people who they're familiar with. And it makes a lot of sense. You had it here with Denver in 06 when Gary Kubiak and Rick Smith came in. You had it here with the Patriots when Bill O'Brien comes in with his peeps. And now you have a Patriot influence in Tennessee with John Robinson and, of course, Mike Vrabel. So Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler are Titans. Logan Ryan came in last year, thanks to Robinson. So what do you make of the Titans after their acquisitions in free agency? And they're in the running for Indomitian Sioux. Mm-hmm. And um, Sue needs to go to a 4-3 team where he's played 4-3 teams in Detroit and Miami and played tackle. Now, he could play in, in a 3-4 and then slide inside. And he's not a difference maker. He hadn't been. He wasn't with Miami. He got $60 million guaranteed, and they went to the playoffs once. But putting him in a defensive line that's good could make him real good. Right. And he had five. I think he averaged five and a half sacks. He's still good against the run. He's 31 or 32. And so I think Butler, Malcolm Butler, y'all were interested in Malcolm Butler. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, you and I have seen Deion Lewis multiple times because Texans play him every year, twice some year. He is a really good change of pace from uh, Derrick Henry, Mm -hmm. the big 248-pounder. So 
I think that getting Lewis, who's a receiver, who is a quick, kind of like a, a lightning bird, a humming, hummingbird, I think that was a shrewd move. I think uh, key for them, you know, they get the second round of the playoffs with Mariota having four more interceptions and touchdowns. What are they going to do if Mike Vrabel, you know, hires, he's got Pat O'Hara as quarterback coach and Matt LaFleur, who are both former Texans coaches. What if they straighten him out and he has, you know, 24 touchdowns and 14 interceptions, mm. they could be even better. Yeah, that's pretty scary Think stuff. also what it's like here. The Texans need two offensive tackles. They don't have to worry about that. Yeah. They got Lawan and they got Conklin. And they once you get those offensive tackles solidified, my goodness, that helps your offense so much. Well, the rest gets a lot easier. It certainly does. Now, what about the Colts? Matt Slauson, we've heard of him. He ruined Brian Cushing's leg in the 2012 campaign, Week 5 against the Jets. Illegal hit. And also, Eric Ebron, tight end for Andrew Luck to play with, assuming Andrew Luck comes back. But what do you make of their free agency? Ebron was a huge bust with Detroit, 10th overall pick four years ago. He's 6'4", 250. You guys weren't interested in him. Y'all need a blocker. You're looking for a bigger guy. It's hard to find those guys in college. So you have to find somebody that's willing to do that. I can't even remember. I have y'all taken in my latest mock, a tight end. I think his name's Damon Schultz from Stanford because he's 6'5 and 265. And I'm having a tight end and a tackle every week. And now because of Colvin and Matthew, I'm not taking a corner or a safety in the third round. This time I took a 3-4 end. See, I, w- I wouldn't even change my Texans mock because I think that even though they picked up who they picked up with the Honey Badger and the O-Lyman and everything, I would still draft at those positions. Just go ahead. Just well, fill it up. Well, I think they will. I'm just not sure. Before, I had tackle, corner, safety, slash, tight end. Right. And this this time I have tackle. Uh, tackle, tackle, tackle. I have tackle, defensive. <laughs> no, I have a. Tackle and a and a guy that's tackle plays guard mm-hmm. and a defensive end. That's what I did this week, I okay. think. And I got like fifty more to go. It's not for the last one. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have a better idea. But so, do you claim victory if you get one of these no, right? No, <laughs> no, no. My first mock draft in two thousand and nine, I had the Texans taking uh, Clay Matthews, Brian Cush. Oh, you did have them taking Cush. And then then I switched to Matthews because Brian played outside. Right. And Clay played outside, and so you needed an inside guy. And so I didn't, like, go back and say, hey, my first mock, I had Brian Cushing. That counts. Mm-hmm. The only one that counts is the last one. Yeah. But uh, all I know is you will take a tackle, and it wouldn't surprise me. And the guy I picked was Alex Kappa from Humboldt State because he also projects inside or tackle. He needs a year, they say, like, say, Julian Davenport. Mm-hmm. But uh, – I know it wouldn't surprise me at all if you don't use two of those first three picks on, on offensive linemen. Yeah, I know we still have the draft to go here, but you talking about Jacksonville likely to be picked first, and who cares where people get picked, but it's the off season, so we care Talk about these things. Talk show hosts, fans. Yeah. Is there any way, I mean, it, do the Texans get bumped up at all, or are they going to be in that second, third area? Are the Colts automatically fourth, even with a healthy Andrew Luck? Maybe the I, Texans are fourth. I don't no, know. I think that with Watson coming back and the injuries, I think the Colts will be picked last. And um, I, I think, I do believe there will be some people in the media who pick the Texans to win because of Watson. Wow. That's strong stuff. Shows you how much they think about. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm going to do at the NFL meetings 
is I'm going to talk to coaches in the AFC South. What do you think about Deshaun Watson? Right, get their reaction. Yes. Good idea. Because anytime you got you Watson that. or Watt in a headline, it's going to get a <laughs> lot of hits because people are so interested in that. Yeah, yeah, very good point. All right, so the Euler reunion. Let's get to that because we're running out of time. It here. was Saturday night. Amy Adams Strunk, the owner, she was doing this before the night before the Titans played the Texans here, and they decided to postpone everything because of Hurricane the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, and she had them out top golf in the afternoon, took over. Uh, Eddie V Steakhouse at Town and Country, and it was one of the neatest things I've ever been to. Mm. I took pictures, I tweeted them. Late in the end, a band comes through playing Houston Oilers number one. Everybody got up and sang. I turned on, did live Twitter, walked around the room. You know, Wade Phillips is waving at me, and Warren Moon, Haywood Jeffries, Ernest Givens, Dan Pastorini. They had players, coaches. She invited back uh, equipment people. Trainers, Jeff Kaplan was there. Uh, it was oh, that's nice. From the first season of 1960 through the last season here, 1996, there were players from every era. Warren Moon had his run and shoot receivers. Bill Groman, one of George Blandis' two favorite targets, with the late Charlie Hennigan in 1960, he had four rings on one finger, two from the Oilers championships in 60-61, two from the Bills championships in 64 and 65. I told him your name needs to be Teddy Four Rings. I mean, Billy <laughs> Four Rings. Oh, that's pretty good stuff. Now, Bud had never done anything that elaborate no, with the Oilers. They never had anything for the Oilers, nothing. And that's why they're walking around like nomads. You know, they, they want to be part of the Texans, but they can't be. You know, the Texans are the Texans. You know, their history is in Nashville, but their memories are here. And in Canton, it's a Titans exhibit in which it shows the Oilers. And so... Wow. Uh, Amy Adams Strunk is going to be throwing a huge bash in Canton the night Robert Brazil gets inducted the first Saturday in August, and that's going to be a, a heck of a Love You Blue reunion. And uh, I told, I tweeted, I think, I wish every fan could have been there experiencing what I did Saturday night. It was like if you were an Oilers fan, you were a kid in a candy store. Are there any Oilers now who are not in the Hall of Fame who need to be in? Uh, I've had uh, – Robert Brazil said Billy White Shoes Johnson needs to be in as a return guy, but we don't put we haven't put return guys in there. And Billy was his, Billy was there. Billy was as good as it as there's been. And he did the funky chicken. I took a picture of him and Ernest Givens who did the electric slide. And of course, neither one of them could do those dances right now. I asked them to try, but they were afraid they'd hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, Charlie Hennigan, along with Bill Groman, was the first great receiver. Charlie, but he only played seven years, and it's going to be hard. And so I, um, I, it's it's really something, Mark, as being the on the committee all these years and representing the Oilers. I feel so bad, and I'll have wives or children who are grown saying, "Can you please help my dad get in the Hall of Fame?" And it, I and I tell them I'll do everything I can, but I realistically don't see any more Oilers. Going to Canton. Right. It makes sense, though. If we get one return guy, if they're seriously considering a return guy, I'll be all over White Shoes Johnson because he was as good as there's ever been. And, uh, boy, seeing those guys, the Love You Blue Oilers, the 
run-and-shoot Oilers, the championship Oilers from those three eras and in between. It was just an incredible night. I, I wrote things on our website about it, and they took all my pictures that were dark, and they lightened them up where you could see everybody, and it was it was just it was a night to remember. I, it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever had, and Amy's going to do it again. I don't think it'll be next year, but maybe the year after because she had a blast because she was a kid growing up watching those guys right. with her daddy. And so, she, you know, they're thanking her, and she's thanking them for the memories. Well, it's a terrific thing she did, really. And you mentioned it. Uh, the Texans do what they can with the homecoming game and everything like that to involve the Oilers, but they're not the Oilers. J.J. So. Watt, wanted, he tweeted about having a throwback game here wearing Oilers uniform. Can't well, do it, right? Can't do it. Well, he what said, if, what if he Amy... said, I understand why we can't do it, but I think it would be cool, but they can't do it. They're, they're the Titans, not the Texans. Yeah. And, and people say, well, give us, give us back the history. Well, Bud Adams got Paul Tagliabue to give him a legal documents because Bud loved the Oilers. He mm-hmm. said the Oilers can will always be a part of that franchise. And, you know, truthfully, it's too complicated. You can't take their history now, say J.J. Watt's all-time leading sacker, and then all of a sudden he's not. No, I agree. You Elvin can't do that. No. Is, he's not. The Texans wouldn't do it at this point anyway. No, the Texans are their own not. franchise. But And to be in Oiler uniforms, I mean, that really would be quite quite a departure. You can't see that happening either, the, but it's, it's an interesting Titans idea. It's the need to wear the Oiler throwbacks. Yeah, but, but nobody in Nashville cares about no, that. They they, don't. Remember they, they did, they wore the 19, didn't they wear the 1960 they wore one uniforms? Year and I went there, and people in Nashville are very polite to the Oilers, yeah. but they're not enthusiastic unless it's somebody like the, the most prominent Oilers who played in Nashville, Bruce mm-hmm. Matthews, Eddie George, and Frank Wycheck, and uh, Steve McNair. And so they're polite. They had a Hall of Fame, uh, Titans slash Oilers, and Bud inducted some people, and they had them at halftime, and they introduced them. And people, you know, they were polite with their palaws. But here, if those guys would just oh, get crazy. incredible ovations. Absolutely. And uh, I wish, now that I'm thinking about this, in fact, i got to talk to Jamie Roots about this and Patty Smith. The first three inductees into the Houston Sports Hall of Fame are going to be 34s, Earl Campbell, Kim Olajuwon, Nolan Ryan. Why not present Earl with his Houston Sports Award ring or whatever they're going to give him at a Texans game since it's Houston? Texans and Oilers will be in that. I think that uh, you never know because Earl's been here before doing stuff. Do you think the fans would? Get excited I think, about that? I think they oh, would, John, yeah. quite a bit. Hey, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? Well, I've got a story Sunday about the start of the NFL meetings. Um, uh, Aaron Wilson and I have a, another mock draft. Mock 5 should be on the website in the morning. And uh, and uh, I don't know what else we got. i get to Orlando. You'll be there, and I'll be writing Texan stories all week. Sounds good. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mark. All right, that's John McClain. That's the show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Galat at Night is next. Go Texans.